This is a Kelly's Angels production. Hi everyone, I'm Mark Mulholland and welcome to The Upbeat, a podcast about perseverance and hope from Kelly's Angels. This is a show for anyone who knows what it's like to face loss and adversity. It's all about getting through grief and rediscovering joy in life. Thank you for listening. The Upbeat is an all-volunteer and in-kind effort. The financial support from our generous podcast underwriters directly benefits families served by Kelly's Angels. This episode of The Upbeat is sponsored by the Bobert Family Fund, News Channel 13, the Saratoga Springs Police Benevolent Association, and Gastroenterology Associates of Northern New York. My guest on The Upbeat is a strong supporter of Kelly's Angels over the years. You may know her as a major winning LPGA golfer and a talented sports commentator. She's Dottie Pepper, and she has a new book that's coming out this month called Letters to a Future Champion, My Time with Mr. Pulver. Mr. George Pulver Sr. was a renowned PGA teacher, golf course architect, and Dottie's mentor. When Dottie was away at college or competing, the two would correspond by writing letters. Mr. Pulver kept the letters Dottie wrote to him along with scrupulous notes of golf instruction to help her improve her game. After Mr. Pulver passed away, his family gave Dottie the files he had kept and their contents inspired her to write a new book. I recently sat down with the golf legend at her home in Saratoga Springs, New York to talk about some of the life lessons she's captured in her new book. I was wearing a mask for the interview as part of pandemic precautions, so if I sound a bit muffled in this episode, that's why. Tell me about the book. Tell me, tell me how the pandemic played into you uh, bringing this idea to fruition. I'm not sure it would have happened without the pandemic, frankly. Uh, you know, we will live, live busy lives. And I had this book for nearly 40 years, this three ring binder. And I'd been told, you know, there's, there's worthwhile book material in there. You, those letters would be a book. But who has the time? I mean, thank you for saying it was a great idea, but how am I going to ever have the time to make this come to fruition? Well, so, and so a year ago, I mean, almost to the day, well, maybe this is the time to do that. So I set up my station downstairs and away I went thinking it was just going to be his letters and maybe a little bit of commentary in the margins from me. And it was going to be a pretty, you know, simple, probably paperback project. And it all changed when I opened a file of forbidden golf swing tips that he had cut from going back all the way to 1966 until shortly before his death. And it was the forbidden file. And well, it's 34 years later, I think I can probably <laughs> look into this file. And yep, it was exactly what I thought. It was pretty, pretty technical stuff that he never really wanted me to be absorbing and, and fighting against what maybe he was thinking or what would trigger something positive for me as a student. Uh, and in it were all the letters that I had wrote to him. So you know, <laughs> the gusher started and then it just became step by step that we needed to tell his story with more detail. Uh, going back to his time being born here in Saratoga Springs, being a cub reporter at the Saratogian, going to World War I, um, coming back injured and his story in golf and how that was, it became part of, of me. And he was just sort of um, golf royalty in this area and always so well put together and just full of kindness and sage advice. So that, that was what he was to me. How do you describe that relationship? 
my sense is you revered him and, yeah. and had tremendous respect for him. But were you, were you a sponge? Were you waiting for every possible piece of advice that he could offer you? My first bits of advice, yes, to answer your question. First bits of advice were not on a student-teacher relationship level at all. It was, I was looking for help to find golf tournaments to play in. You know, there, there was no um, site you could go to to just, well, I can play here, I can play there. there. It was hard to get access to tournaments, let alone find out what tournaments were there to play in. I didn't have a deep tournament record if, if there was qualifying or if you had to submit a resume. So I was really just trying to gather information from him. Where do I look to find places to play, to, to kind of hone my young skills? I didn't realize until, because I was just so much in, into the throes of trying to become uh, a better player and ultimately maybe make the tour, that I had the depth of this relationship. I wouldn't say you took it for granted because I certainly didn't, but when you look back, I think it looks, it, it becomes even bigger. What year did he pass, Daddy? 86. He was 86. 87. So he didn't get to see the peak of your success on the tour? No, he didn't even get to see me graduate from college. Uh, I had been low amateur in the, in the U.S. Open, which was crazy great. And then won, uh, for the first time, an amateur winning on the Futures Tour right down here in Colony. And he, did, he was around for that. So there, was, there were a couple of pretty high marks for him uh, to see and, and understand the, the progress that had been made. But no, he never didn't see me graduate from college or get onto the tour. What do you suppose he would have been thinking when you won the majors, when you won the Dinosaur and those sorts of... That'd be great. And have you ever thought about, this is going to come across as a strange question. You wrote back to him, you had this correspondence. You ever think about writing him posthumously? Or have you in your head written to him posthumously? Well, I actually sort of did, because um, I couldn't afford to come home for his funeral. So the Saratoga gave me space. And I wrote a thank you. Did people know, and it, you want a tissue? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, believe me, I have them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they're hidden. They're everywhere. Uh, and, no, I didn't, and I didn't mean to upset you, but obviously no. that's how strongly you feel about, about him. So at the time, do people have any idea? You're, you're a, a young golfer making your name for yourself, although it's not easy for women to do that. As you said, it's finding tournaments can Well, be just finding difficult. tournaments, of course. And, um, and in the Northeast, I mean, we're not exactly... <laughs> golf know, Central. Correct, correct. Yeah. Did anyone know uh, beyond your family, perhaps, that you were being mentored by him at the time? And... Um, did they have any idea just how good he was? And did you have any idea how good well, he was? Well, no. Um, I think the only way people would have known that he, even during my college recruiting time, would have known is because he wrote me a letter of recommendation to stuff into my, my college applications. So that's the only way people would have really known about him. Unless you read the local papers. I, I talked about him and he hated that. He didn't, he was extremely humble. And it really wasn't until we started going through the whole process of this book that I knew about his playing record. Um, he, he beat Tom Creevy, who was PGA champion, here in an in a area event by six when he was holding the national championship. And nobody knew about it. Um, 
And this is a, a World War One veteran. World War One veteran. Who had some injuries as well. He did have some injuries. He was gassed um, in the in the trenches. He uh, served in Belgium and in France beside alongside the British Army. You are one of the most knowledgeable golf people in the country. I don't think that I don't think that's an overstatement. Uh, given your playing career, yeah. your analysis career. What do you tell people about you? You're your... saying I'm on a single track here? <laughs> wait, wait, no, no, you're definitely not. But what do you tell people about your mentor? What do you, does, was he, was he, was he one of the most knowledgeable people you've ever encountered? No doubt. And he left me with a foundation that is, it's time, time tested. And um, the things that he taught me then are still completely applicable now, if not more so. I did a podcast with Mark Immelman, who I work with at, at CBS a couple of days ago, and he said, okay, the forbidden file. you got to give me a couple of things that were in there. So I dug through it, and I just went, took one right off the top. And it was 1966, as I mentioned, the very beginning of this forbidden file. Everything is exactly the same. They're just trying to put new, new uh, table dressing on the same lessons, the same way golf happened then to now. So you know, we're talking 55, 60 years later, and it's really the same stuff. And you, the technology changes, but the basis of the foundation of golf doesn't. Why did he keep the forbidden file if, it's, if it was essentially <laughs> useless anyway? He didn't, he didn't want to have to unteach stuff. <laughs> he wanted me to learn the way he knew I could absorb, because I was that sponge, um, and not to be over, over technical. Because you could pretty, you can go down that road pretty quickly, and I wasn't wired for that. I was much more a feel player, and he understood that quickly, and reinforced that. So that was a that was a, it's a very heavy technical bunch of of, uh, of instruction, and he knew that was not going to be good for me. Did he forecast that you would you would reach greatness? Uh, to a letter to his son, yeah. But not to you. He said, "Great things will be happening. You just kind of work work your way. We're 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 um, we're, we're uh, what do we say?" Um, we're working today for to plan for tomorrow's accolades. That's as far as That's he was get. As far as he would get, but he talked about he talked about what he thought was going to happen big time to other people. What will people take from the book? Uh, What's your hope for that? I I hope it's the value of mentorship. It's there's a lot of life lessons in there. There's a lot of there's hidden humor in there, which is fantastic. He was he was he was silently funny. Um, the value of preparation, the way he valued his family, the way he really held big time, the value of education, so huge for him. All three of his kids went on to advanced degrees and uh, he was a big pusher of, of education, but he was also uh, really believed that it was important when you feel like you're getting a little, the tank's getting a little empty to say it's okay to do that and go have fun. Go do other things. He was really a believer of balance. He used uh, lessons about being resilient, uh, about being determined, about having a plan, and those definitely translate. Um, you know, I, some of it I didn't want to hear then. I just wanted to go get it, but that that definitely, is, to me, is, is a big part of, of what you have to have to be successful in life. Dottie, we're going to take a quick break now to thank our underwriters. We'll be right back. Support for The Upbeat comes from the Bobert Family Fund, which supports charitable organizations that efficiently use the resources they have to make a disproportional impact on the world around them. WNYT News Channel 13, the NBC-affiliated TV news station providing breaking news, sports, and weather 
to viewers in New York's capital region, as well as Berkshire County, Massachusetts, and Bennington, Vermont. Learn more at WNYT.com. The Saratoga Springs Police Benevolent Association, which represents the members of the Saratoga Springs Police Department, supports the local community through charitable donations. Learn more at saratogapba.com. And Gastroenterology Associates of Northern New York, where board-certified, fellowship-trained doctors provide state-of-the-art diagnostic and therapeutic gastroenterology, endoscopy, and colonoscopy services for patients in Warren, Washington, and Saratoga counties. Learn more at giassociatespc.com. If your business would like to be an underwriter and help Kelly's Angels, email us at theupbeatpod at gmail.com. And we're back with Dottie Pepper, champion golfer who has written a book called Letters to a Future Champion. You've had a reputation through the years of being one of the toughest competitors, a gritty competitor. In fact, you brought a lot of that to the LPGA Tour. And my, my, as a viewer, I would see that. How, where did that come from? Where does, where does that spark for you come from to be so competitive? I think it's DNA. I mean, my dad played in the major leagues, for, albeit for a very short time, but it was, it was from the very beginning, um, right to running for the post office or to the mailbox and uh, nail, newspaper box every morning. Who could get there faster so we could read the box scores over breakfast? Um, I think that was that's DNA, and that was that was uh, just part of who I am. But I found a sport where I, I could thrive, and let that that really come through. I mean, one of my my dad's earliest you know, sit down sessions was nobody's out there cheering for you. <laughs> this is a this isn't a team sport. Um, everybody's out there really for themselves, and it's your responsibility to be prepared and and just go get at it. Uh, so, so part of that, when, I, when it translated to having the opportunity to play on team sports, Spolheim Cup especially, to me that was just so cool because I, didn't, I never really had that. At college, yes, but, but to be able to represent your, your country and have those lessons from your dad ringing in the back of your head was, was very special. What do you view as the biggest challenges you've faced through the years, personally, professionally, and how have you overcome them? I think the biggest challenge as a as a youngster was opportunity to play there weren't many tournaments in this area on top of that there weren't many girls tournaments in this area and there's still i mean we're, we're just having section two girls golf championships so that's been slow to evolve but it was it was very real for me trying to find events to play and so i ended up playing against the older ladies because there was there was good organization in that area around here but opportunity was still uh, a challenge even going into college. I didn't have the money to travel a lot to play a big time schedule, so I needed a break to have tournaments sort of come to me so I could drive my little Dodge Omni and, and uh, <laughs> that had 100,000 miles on it when I, when I first got it to play. So I, that was my, my biggest, biggest challenge. And I think too that, that continues today being being in in media in sports and uh, opportunities for women at the very high level they're changing but it's because of people like Judy Rankin someday maybe maybe because I've helped some youngster along the way maybe the girl who you know I had an intern at CBS who's going to leave me in the dust she's outstanding and she helped with the timeline for the book so maybe it's those experiences that will make those opportunities bigger 
down the road. But I, I think opportunity and, you know, there were some financial hurdles that I had to, had to figure out early on. Do you still encounter uh, Dottie's a woman? Do you still encounter that? Do you, I mean, you, you provide analysis on both the men's tour and the, and the ladies' tour, but do you still get a little of that? Do you still? I, I don't get it from my colleagues. I wouldn't say I've never gotten it from my colleagues. I don't now because I've had more time doing what I do. You still get it in social media. And sometimes it comes pretty hot and heavy. What the heck does a woman know about um, men's, men's golf? golf? What do you know about you Tiger Woods? You what, do you know about? what do you know about them? Well, I was very fortunate that my first producer at NBC, Tommy Roy, said there's there are two things that I know that the microphone doesn't know the difference between a man and a man and a woman and the golf ball does not know the difference between a man and a woman. It might hurt a little more when the guy hits the golf ball, but, <laughs> but it doesn't, they don't, it's a golf ball. And you experienced it, you have the credentials and I'm eternally thankful for what he told me early, early on. And I was still only doing cable on Thursday, Fridays for USA when NBC took over the weekend coverage. And he said, if you have a thought that you know, you believe, you can back up you say it and I that is in the back of my head every day I go to work it's great advice how about personally what what challenges personally you, you mentioned the difficulty in finding tournaments and, and, and getting started uh, have you suffered a loss that that has been profound and how have you overcome it mr. Pulver yeah yeah it was a huge loss but you you take the lessons and move it forward he was always talking about moving it forward Maybe somebody reads that book. How do you do it? How do you how do you move it forward? It's not easy. How do you move? You know, it forward? people say people often say that. Yeah. Uh, move on. Right. But it's not moving on. Well, no, on. it's not moving on. It's it's learning from it, and and I, and I think processing it, uh, taking bits of of bad and taking them and making them good. Um, you can you have a choice every day to get up with an attitude of gratitude and doing something positive. Or you can go the other way. And I think this pandemic showed a great light on that. Um, I really believe that attitude is a choice and that we control a lot of how we look at things and how things affect us. And feel free to grab a tissue, yeah. Dottie, because I should mention that as we discussed this, Mr. Pulver passed many years ago, but he's still, he's still with you because you're tearing up as, as yeah. we talk about his loss, about his, his passing. And that's, that's a pretty profound effect that someone can have. And you've, you've written a book about him. Right. You've written a book about your relationship with him. And that's, has that been cathartic to you as well? Is, it, is that a way to sort of process his loss? You said you weren't able to make his funeral. Right. So is that, if, I'm, I'm sure there have been some tears shed of you as you oh, put this gosh. book together. <laughs> At every level. It was humbling to write this, to ask other people to help with it. Uh, I remember standing or sitting at dinner and David said, well, I know exactly who needs to write the foreword for that book. I said, Kathy Whitworth, are you out of your mind? Uh, she's you know, the wittiest LPGA player in history. But the focus for me was a forward focus asking her to do it. And it took me almost two months to ask her to do it. Just to get up the nerve. Just to get up the nerve. She was my first Solheim Pep captain and I couldn't get up the nerve to ask her. Uh, because I believe 
we need to put more time and effort and energy into her. Um, everybody's talking about Tiger. If and when he comes back, and 82 wins. He's still six behind Kathy Wentworth. <laughs> so to me, this was also an opportunity to thank her for what, what she'd done. Um, and then asking Mike Tirico to write the afterword. I didn't do that until about two months ago. So it took me about four months to ask him. Um, and I'm sure they were happy to do it. He bawled his eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> we were, I, was, I was walking around in the backyard. Dogs were out playing. And... I'm talking to him, he's recovering from COVID. He's in Ann Arbor in his basement. And he's, I asked him because he was so, he was really inspirational for me and laid a foundation for me about how I prepare as a television professional yes. because of how he prepares. And still goes back, watches all of his shows, critiques himself to the point where he's not afraid to make the next hard call, but aware of your the, the, the little clicks that you fall into. Amazing. He may, I watched him prepare for his first LPGA event. He'd never called women's golf before. Now he's calling women's major. And I have the opportunity to go in and sit with him to do a side-by-side -side interview. We've got Judy Rankin on one side and Mike Tirico on the other. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. And I'm looking at how he prepared. I'm like, wow. And that translated to me, because it was only five years later that... Uh, I was done playing, and if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right, and I reached out to him. And we've become such good friends, roommates at the Masters for years, time at ESPN together, and for, I mean, we both bawled our eyes out. <laughs> but, but you were still a little <laughs> nervous about asking. And I was so nervous. I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off. And then he got super busy. The NFL, as you know, was, sure was a mess with COVID, and he ended up getting it. They had the game, the Pittsburgh and Baltimore game yeah. was bounced around forever. That involved him. So by the time we actually got to talk ear to ear on this whole thing, it was pathetic. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> and then he says, you know, you're asking me to do something I've never done before. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've, I've just written a foreword for someone's book. I've never written an afterward. He said, my, my main goal is to not suck. <laughs> Yeah. Here's a guy like Mike Tirico saying, I just don't want to suck. I haven't read the afterword, though. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> seen I'll that. send it you to you. Put that out, um, I'll print it for you. Um, so what's your advice? What is your advice? We, we've touched on it, but what is your advice to those who might be struggling? Somebody who might have recently suffered a loss, or maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago yeah. suffered a loss, or has recently lost a job, or has recently you know, yeah. been divorced. What's, how have you persevered? How do, how do you recommend, how would you tell others to persevere? I would say most people have a, have a well of resiliency they don't realize they have, number one. Number two, I mean, when I went through my second divorce, I went to, I went to a, a class. And of the things that I learned in that class, the most powerful thing was to be able to forgive yourself. That was hugely, um, it was just a huge release and a huge weight off my shoulder to be able to forgive yourself. Nobody's perfect. There's been one perfect person who's walked the face <laughs> of this earth. One. And it's okay to screw up. Uh, and, and I think also it's okay to reach out and say, I need help. And so many people, they think that's a sign of weakness when in fact it's a sign of strength. 
Amen. How about humor? Humor? Huge. Is it huge? <laughs> huge. Even, huge. Even gallows humor, right? Oh, Last gosh. Night. Absolutely. You have to be able to laugh at yourself, a laugh with people around you. I, I remember going out to dinner for the first time on the road after this all hit, and California opened up just a little bit. Of, so this was in January this year. Two very dear friends, both in the medical industry. And we stopped ourselves in the middle of a meal because we were laughing. It was so helpful. And we also felt a little bit guilty about laughing. What the heck has this done to us? Uh, so I, I think it's, it's mandatory. Anything you want to add about perseverance and hope? And, and you said resilience. That's, that's a great word as well. Yeah, I, I think it, it, knowing that a comeback is, very, is not often just a flash. It's often uh, a process. Really, a process. A little teeny tiny steps. So sometimes you go forward, and sometimes you take half a step back, and sometimes you get knocked right back to the floor again. But I, I, I just I believe that the human spirit is deeper than people give it credit for, and it's okay to reach out to those who can help you. It's okay to say I need help, and to know that uh, it's not very often when you ask for help that somebody says no. Yeah, and you learned that as a teenager with Mr. Pova. I did. <laughs> Um, was that intimidating to ask him, by the way? Because you, you talk about asking. Uh, yeah, I think it was. But I was also, I went to my comfort zone. That was Madeline. <laughs> so I asked his daughter first. And as it turns out, he said yes to me four days before his, di his wife died. I mean, that's crazy stuff. There's some synchronicity there, though. Yeah. I mean, as, as his there family told you that you were you helped sort of. Replace is not the right word, yeah. but you helped fill that, that void. Yeah, I, I think it gave him a forward focus rather than looking back at Martha's passing. That was 40 years ago last week that she passed. Dottie, thank you so much. This has been fun. I appreciate your time, and I look forward to reading the book. Dottie's book, Letters to a Future Champion, My Time with Mr. Pulver, is available for pre-sale at dottiepepper.net. A portion of the proceeds will benefit Saratoga Warhorse, a program that assists military veterans suffering from psychological wounds of service. The book will be available to ship on April 12th and also available at Northshire Bookstore in Saratoga Springs for our listeners here in New York's capital region. Coming up on our next episode of The Upbeat, we'll get some practical tips from a financial planner and a lawyer about finances, wills, and trusts, among other topics. If you're a surviving spouse or even a single parent who is starting a new chapter after a divorce, you won't want to miss this helpful information. Until next time, I'm Mark Mulholland. Take care and stay on The Upbeat. Special thanks to Emily Yan, a graphic designer and art director who invested her time and talent to create our podcast logo. Videographer, editor, and Kelly's Angels board member, Lou Graff. Coordinating producer and Kelly's Angels board member, Jenny Sperano. And all the volunteer Kelly's Angels board members who had a hand in making this podcast possible. And one of those board members is my daughter, McKenna Rose Mulholland, who's been doing a great job as our voiceover talent for this podcast. So thank you, McKenna. You're welcome, Dad. Can I finish now? You bet. Thanks for listening to The Upbeat.